Welcome to FredNod with me, Rosie Bennett. FredNod is the podcast that aims to demystify the learning process that we all go through in our lives, work and otherwise. I'll be talking to the champions of our field about the lessons that have most defined their careers and help us to figure out how we can learn from what they've already figured out. Nothing in life is a linear process, so let's get more at ease with the ups and the downs and realize that wherever we are in our journey, we really aren't alone. This podcast is brought to you by Augustine Strings, the inventor of the original nylon string for guitar, a company full of my favorite people in the guitar world, and my string of choice. I play the Imperial Reds or the Paragon Reds, and you can check them out at augustinestrings.com. Also right now, listeners of Fretnot get 50% off of their purchase. For US listeners, that's with the code FRETNOT50, which I'll put in the description box at augustinestrings.com. And for UK listeners, it's that same code FRETNOT50 at checkout at ivamarantz.co.uk. And like I said, I'll put those both in the description box so that you can check them out at your own pace. In today's episode, I talked to guitarist Aaron Lager Kaplan. I'd actually never met Aaron before and I hadn't really come across him, but he suggested himself for the podcast, which I always love, and so we quickly found a time to talk. I wasn't expecting it to be such an amazing conversation, but we ended up speaking for nearly two hours just yesterday on a Sunday, so thanks to Aaron, if you're listening, for giving up your time at the weekend. It was a really, really wonderful conversation and I've been wondering actually because a few of these conversations really run over time. If any of you are interested in hearing the full edit, then feel free to send me an email and let me know. Um, I usually try to cut it down for your convenience because sometimes we do ramble on <laughs> like we did in this conversation. Um, but if that's something that you'd be interested in, then feel free to drop me a message either on my Instagram at Rosie Bennett Guitar, the Fret Not Pod um, Instagram, which is at Fret Not Pod, or on the email of the podcast, fretnot at gmail.com, or my personal email, which is rosie.bennett at yahoo.co.uk. Other than that, all that's left for me to say this episode is that I hope you really enjoy the conversations we talked about. And due to the rambling, I apologise for the fact that this conversation, as with a couple of others in the past, deviates slightly from the format of the podcast. I kept saying to Aaron that I'd get round to asking him the questions, and we kept laughing about it, and it just never happened. Aaron does offer up a few answers to those questions himself, but I didn't get to ask any of the questions that I usually do. In any case, I hope that you enjoyed this episode as much as I enjoyed this conversation. Hello. Hi. How are you? I'm okay. The time change is always a uh, a bit of a hit on me. It just I'm like, oh wow, I'm it's nine. I slept an extra hour, and I'm like, no, I did not sleep an extra hour. So it'll. I have some teaching today, so it's kind of distracts me from being tired. Okay. How are you? How that sounds like a coping mechanism. You figured me out that quickly. That's pretty good. <laughs> Don't worry. Us guitarists are often quite the same yes um, <laughs> i'm well i'm well thank you thanks for suggesting yourself oh. you know it's so nice when people come to me i was wondering how did you find the podcast let's see i well i've heard of it for a little while i know i know people you've interviewed so i've seen it and then uh mm. david leisner who was one of my former teachers was on it and i'm like you know 
I've learned long ago, either I have to hire a publicist or I reach out because there's way there's a lot of us. It's not, you know, 1970 when there's like 10 professional players in the world. So it, it's true. Yeah. So it's a little so I, I reached out. Uh, I enjoyed I've listened to two or three. And then I found the Brian May one yesterday, which I was like, how did she put like that? Wow. That was impressive. Good job. <laughs> I felt like some of it was very different and some of it was very similar. It was, sh I was actually so surprised. I've, I've met a few like big names and mm -hmm. he, I, if you, if I didn't know that was Brian May and I didn't hear his accent going, you know, up in Devonshire and this and that, um, mm -hmm. I would have been like, who is this guy? Like, he, how can he has played in Wembley Stadium multiple times? Like, he's just so down to earth. It was actually like unnerving. Like, wait a sec. I thought that unnerving is the right word. I thought success would kind of fix a few of those things. I know. I think that was quite nice, actually, because in, in general, when we conceptualized the idea of the podcast, that was sort of the idea we wanted to give because, you know, you listen to a lot of these interviews and it's all these stories of, oh, I had absolutely nothing and then I worked really hard and now here I am. And when you listen, you just feel really guilty. Um, <laughs> and Brian's episode was really a, a big moment because it kind of just made me realize that all those things that I've been after, all of the little things that I thought would help, probably just wouldn't help that much. Yeah. And it's crazy because I think that's it. when you're talking about someone like that, you're not just talking about someone who's really famous, but you're talking about somebody who means so much to some people. Yeah. For some people, he's really a sort of God yeah. or I think, you know, there's been some scandal recently around him and things that he said, and his fans are so diehard that they just don't believe a word yeah. of it. And it's crazy. So you're thinking this guy who it's not just that people say, oh, yeah, you're a pretty good player, no. which is kind of what we got right. in classical. Um, but in pop, it's a bit more hysterical. Yeah. This idea that people fall in love with you after listening to something, you save their life. And even then that he's just thinking, oh, I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> yeah. And he's just, you know, like, what do I do? I don't want to mess up. I don't want to hurt people. It's like, oh, it's the same thing on just a kind of a bigger scale and I can imagine like talking to people I've heard that yeah. you know the decision when you get bigger it's like it feels like the decisions are more important and but at the same mm -hmm. time I think you hit the nail on the head it's it's the same thing it's like if you move you're not you take everything with you all of your baggage all of your issues you're yeah. you're in a different place but you still are you and I think that's a that was a a great lesson to kind of hear from him is is that and you know oh I'll win this competition and everything will be solved I'll play this fugue and it'll all be it, it's the different different definitions of success and I think we all have and what is I mean does success mean that you're perfect not at all like that's yeah some mm -hmm. of the most it's odd I think we put people on such pedestals the you know the segovia the you know I, I i worked with fisk for a time you know the pedestal was gigantic and then you meet mm. your hero and it's like hmm they're human damn yeah yeah i think it's weird i think it has to do a little bit with the heroes that were given yeah. at a young age 
it is a very weird world, isn't it? You're sort of given these people that are heroes and these other people that you really shouldn't trust, even if it's not people you're ever going to meet. And then there's a slow release of information that these people, whether they are good, whether they're bad, are, are all just people. Something that I learned a lot later in my life is that there's no real glory story around a lot of the music that's been written for guitar. Most of the story of why these pieces were written is just because I got a job, um, finally. <laughs> you know? Yeah, the definition of real music, not real music. Um, I know I was told not to play too many guitar composers and the prejudices of European composers versus Latin American composers. I think there's an openness and that is, you know, when we, we start out as classical, it's like I started with electric guitar. I was Hendrix, Led Zeppelin. Queen. I mean, it was like that. I wanted, I copied them. And then I quickly realized you don't become good, uh, great copying others and songwriting wasn't my thing. And then I heard Segovia. But it's like, okay, this is what you do. You play your sore etudes. And now you learn your Via Lobos etudes. And now uh, you have your sonata. And every semester you, or every year you play your recital. And then you drop all of your repertoire. You learn new repertoire. And then you go to your competitions. And then 25, 27 hits. And if you haven't done anything, you go and you switch careers and you do something else. And I just never liked that. That the, yeah, I came to classical at 16, so I knew like reading music was going to take me a while. So it's it was a very mm. I I wasn't even on the totem pole when I went to school. There was all the the master students and then the very good undergrads and then there was mm. me. And so I kind of had to be scrappy about it. And I looked to other musicians and just working with dancers, choirs, chamber music, like teach me. And I would always try and find stuff without judgment. You know, I'm hired for a gig. This is how I started arranging. I was hired for a wedding and they asked for a couple of songs. And I said, sure, I have to pay for the arrangement. You know, you'll have to pay me. And they said, okay. And I was like, dang, I got paid well. And I struggled, but like at the end of the day, I had two arrangements that I signed my little name on. And so in a sense, those kind of struggles led to those opportunities, which if I, I had friends who refused to play weddings, they said, there's not a chance they will ever play weddings, ever do a program for schools and for kids. They said they want mm -hmm. a strict, you know, Segovia recital. I'm like, you're not Segovia and Segovia couldn't make it in today's market of competing with 24-hour news, 24-hour sports, 24-hour everything else. I mean, it, it, it's, a, mm. it's a different world. Yeah, I think that's very important, actually. It's really interesting, especially now, I think in the last five years or so, we've had this real privileged access to how changeable life can be, right? Yeah. Everything seems to be changing politically and uh, I mean, COVID really swept a lot of people up of anything that they thought could ever happen. You know, I remember sitting at home, I was listening to an interview, actually just with a comedian, he was saying there's this cognitive dissonance <clears throat> between believing that something like Pizza Hut or Domino's could ever be closed. Yeah. We just don't live in that world, you know, <laughs> imagining that these things would not be on demand. And 
it's actually very crazy how at the same time that we study history and we're sort of obsessed with history and especially as musicians you know we're obsessed with information and provenance and the idea that we can find answers in the past um, but at the same time we actually in reality find it very difficult to look past the last five ten years and see how things are different and um, Segovia is something that naturally gets people's back up, which is why it's a great topic <laughs> to talk about, always. Right. Um, because everybody has an opinion about Segovia, right? It doesn't matter whether you, whether you love right. what he's done, whether you have conflicted feelings. I don't think anyone just hates no. Segovia. I think maybe Michael Chapterlin, <laughs> even he doesn't. He, but so, he has a good you know, he respects, he right. He respects parts, <laughs> exactly. right. I mean, he's human. But nevertheless, it's just, there's something so fascinating about how different a time we live in than yeah. 50 years ago, which really is not a long time. It's, right. it's a lifetime, which is not, not very long. Yeah. Um, and of course we live in a completely different world these days, I think classical guitar actually, it's a nice thing to talk about because in classical guitar, I think we often fall victim to the idea that we, I mean, we never think that we live in a different world than we did a hundred years ago. We're sort of always trying to get back to those Those, those days. Those like seven days in the 1970s when there were multiple music uh, guitar series in New York and yeah. people were like famous and John Williams was on, you know, the regular television and there were only three or four stations. Exactly. I, the thing is like Segovia, he his first review for the New York Times, and I know someone's going to correct me here, but I'm pretty sure it was like a small house concert for like seven or eight people. And he got this review. I'm like, you would have to be horrible to not get a great review in that type of setting. I mean, it's like that is where the guitar was what was made for. And, you know, the it's. Segovia was around a long time. If he had died at the same age as um, Barrios, I don't think we would have known much about him. You know, something that people should um, attribute to Segovia a lot more is that he was incredibly driven about what he wanted. Yes. When he was coming up in the industry, anywhere up from where he was did not yet exist. And Segovia created this space and then inhabited it for his whole life right. and didn't allow anyone else to get yeah, in. We say sharp elbows, you know. He, he kind of spiked everyone out of the way. And, and in a way, it's just hats off to him. You know, there's something about people being very upfront um, that's almost admirable in a way. He knew what he wanted. It's not without consequence that the guitar was not a classical concert instrument really before him. And he just said, that's what I want it to be. Mm -hmm. I want to be able to do this as a life. Mm -hmm. And he created it. There, it the business music, there's a wonderful quote. Um, oh, I'm forgetting the, the journalist. Talks about how business is ruthless. The music business is ruthless, horrible, destroy you. And that's the good stuff. And, you know, that's the good side. And you have to have that, that ambition. I have nothing against that. One of the things I'm trying to do is not knock other people's knees out from, you know, it, trying to yeah. do it, learn from Segovia. And I'm grateful for Segovia. There were other players. There were amazing players. But he took it, you know, he, on a level that just never existed. And it's, it doesn't exist right now. There's no one who's... Yeah. You know, there's the Yeah, it's very tricky because we live in a different kind of world order. What we do is become a lot less important as well, also in a good way. 
um, music has sort of been liberated from this religious importance that it seemed to have had in the last hundred years. We now are semi-free to do what we want, which has, I would say, for 99% of us created a problem because a lot of us have been brought up in an education that that sort of uh, led us towards functional creativity, to restrained creativity. Oh, that's such a... And living in a world that's liberated is actually very tricky. Yeah, that's a, you know, that's a beautiful way of putting it. I asked a student a couple years ago, uh, this is before COVID, so probably 2018 or 19, he had a Fender, mm -hmm. came in with a Fender um, guitar and he's playing for me, he could play, it was very nice. And I said, so you like Hendrix? And he looked at me and he goes, who's Hendrix? 21, 20, 21 years old. I said, you're playing a Fender guitar. That's what Hendrix played. I mean, this is, and he's like, no, I have no idea. And so we started the videos and pulling up. And I said, well, who do you listen to? And he pulled up a video. He says, I love this song. And it's a guy uh, playing, strumming an acoustic guitar and singing. And he gets to the chorus and his, he spins in his chair and it kind of flashes lights and all of this. And it had something like 3 million views. And I just, and I realized like the boat has left. The way I grew up where you had magazines, um, you had albums, you had CDs, you, you, I watched MTV news regularly, even though I realized quickly it recycled the same one every half hour. Um, to hear like, what's the latest on these gods? And they, don't exist. I mean, they exist, but people move on. Yeah, we live in a different world now. It's very, it's been very revealing the last couple of weeks with what's going on in Ukraine, because we have a different eye into it now that we're all online. Right. Um, there's never been so much privileged access into real life footage of things. And that goes for war zones, as much as it does for up and coming stars sitting in their bedrooms noodling around on the first guitar hit that they're going to release that year you know it's we do live in a very strange world that we're not accustomed to i guess i'm from the last generation where you sort of had one cd and that was sort of like oh this is what guitar music is right you know now we have the internet so we have everything it makes it much more difficult and i would say it makes it a much more hostile environment i really don't um i don't envy anybody coming up now in the classical guitar world i think it's much more difficult yeah. especially because of individuals like me i make it very confusing as a world because you know you used to just have whoever you came across in a cd um you know you'd flick through and then you'd get something like oh Ibero American guitar. Yeah. This looks interesting. I'll I'll buy this, and then you spend your whole life thinking that Vladimir Mikulka is the only guitarist in the <laughs> He's world. He's great. You're like, he oh, is yeah, great. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I love him. Of course, he was my first CD. But you know, you've got people who were like, oh yeah, yeah, but Julian Bream, and you kind of say, oh yeah. But now it's very confusing yeah. because obviously, what with Instagram, what with this kind of exploding, constantly exploding, and ever developing world. You know, I can't scroll through my Instagram anymore without seeing about 50 guitarists in my explore page. Yeah. 
So it's a lot more pressurizing because we used to have just a few people who were trusted by Decker or Deutsche right. Grammophon to be good enough, you know, good enough in inverted <laughs> commas for us to listen to. Now, as soon as you start, you may be seven years old, you probably have a smartphone already, and you log into your thing and you think, what do I like? Um, I like guitar, hashtag guitar, and you have a look, and then immediately you've got a million people. Let's say that's an underestimate of people playing videos that you then have to decide, uh, which ones do I like? You know, that makes it very difficult. It makes it difficult as somebody who inhabits that space as well because obviously it comes with its own prejudices and you want to be able to be the right influence yeah. and even saying right influence is kind of the wrong thing to say but you want to be a good influence yeah. in what music making can be um, but on the other hand the world is so saturated that it's really really difficult and it's it's becoming ever more difficult i'd say for classical guitarists i think segovia would have huge problems with this yeah. it's becoming ever more difficult for us to really define what we do right. um which i guess is maybe manifested also in your sort of broadening of what you do with your albums what you think your definition of success can be the things that you like to do and the things that you're okay with saying that you do um, that also comes under that remit you know we're all sort of having to slowly concede that a lot of these things are actually part of what we do. Um, do you compose in a world where we used to turn up our noses and say, never, no, 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 yeah. no, no, that's not quite what I do. Actually, I'm a guitarist, which means that I just play, right. you know, and where we come from historically correct performances, right. where we spend thousands of hours in ear training and analysis and solfege and harmony to try and work out what we're doing. Um, at the end, these days, realizing that a TikTok <laughs> teenager um, who's 15 years old, sitting on her bedroom floor, surrounded by her homework that she's meant to be doing and picking out a few notes on the guitar, can suddenly become the biggest worldwide star in guitar playing. Um, of course, it, I don't have any conclusion here. It's just, it rocks the boats. Yeah. That's my only conclusion. Well, it, it doesn't make sense to a lot of us. And I think it, it does make the classical world sometimes, I will say, a hostile place to be in when you have these two things that meet this sort of older world order mm -hmm. where you had to have a certain amount of accolades you had to talk to the right people talk in the right way you had to have the right program you then had to go and perform in this place you had to get this review you had to record an album with this label right. um, now knowing that you can basically just release something on youtube and it be 10 times if not a thousand times if not a million times more successful in terms of numbers or reach right. Um, you know, the very least we can say that that is confusing for a lot of us. I, yeah, <laughs> I think, you, again, you're, you're right. Change, and when we don't know what the change is, I mean, I was in a master class probably in the early 20, 20,000, 2000s, 20,000s, I like that. Mm -hmm. um, sorry, it's time change. The brain is not quite there yet. And, um, it might have been even Leo Brower up in Canada or something like this, but um, around that time and someone said, well, you do this well, you should know that I was just in Taiwan or Korea and there's probably a, a 10 year old who can do the same thing as you and probably better. So if you think you're going to define yourself as the best player of Etude 7, or, you know, my version of Asturias is three clicks faster. It, it was kind of, like, I took that to heart. And I'm like, whoa, 
I am a horrible Segovia. I am. I'm a horrible Bream. And, you know, I, I've never been a very good copy other people. Um, I'm, I, I am probably too, I say curious, but probably ADD. You know, I could never just, my brain goes in different places. Um, and so I think in the, the, the freedom of what has happened, you know, the not having to send off 300 or 400 CDs just for press, um, mm -hmm. the costs have come down, but there's no curators anymore. And we have to curate ourselves, which means it's a huge responsibility. I, the, the quality has to be there. And I'm not saying all the curators that were there were great. I have lots of classical guitar albums. We'll stick to classical guitar. Um, that I got and I'm like, oh, this player is great. And I put it on. I'm like, what are they doing? Like, I hear nails. I hear clicks. Are they trying to do the bream reverb? Are they trying for a church? It, just, it doesn't work. So some things failed before. The classical labels were never money makers, but there was a certain esteem of we're doing it for the art and we are the guitar. And I think that's great, but at the same time, you know, I want people to hear it. I, I want, I go into, ever since I was in college, I'd go into schools and do, you know, this is classical guitar programs, the little flamenco, some span, you know, some Latin American music, uh, here's a fugue, and try and make it approachable, um, mm -hmm. which is not classical, classical music's best trait. You know, I, I'm a huge fan of Wozzeck. I'm a, I, I, I love Elliot Carter. I love complicated music. I think it's great, and I probably choose way too difficult music 80% of the time. But mm. I figuring out ways to present it to audiences in, in a positive and approachable way, it, I just think that's great. If someone approaches me and says, hey, I really enjoy flamingo music, which happens way too much. I say, that's great. It's pronounced flamenco, but you know, <laughs> just so you don't get beat up at some point, um, that at least they're listening. And I, I wish it wasn't just background music. I can't, I can't listen to background mm -hmm. music. It's, it just doesn't, I stop doing what I'm doing and I listen or I turn it mm -hmm. off and I do what I'm doing. And for most people though, it's like dominoes, you know, we never thought it would end. We are at the point where streaming, people don't say, I want to listen to Aaron Larger Kaplan. They don't say that. No, they, they say, I want to listen to uh, guitar music for dinner. Uh, Alexa, put on uh, relaxing jazz music. Those are the things that are getting played. Now, uh, people can cry and scream all they want. I don't like McDonald's. People eat McDonald's. You know, we all choose our life and I can say, well, it shouldn't exist, but it does exist. And I, it's a we, I don't want to be in people's bedrooms watching them practice, but I get emails. Why aren't you, or people will message me on Instagram. Can you do another quick lesson like you just did? I did a TikTok the other day and all of a sudden people are liking it. And I am like, I did a, I put it up for a student. And they're like, can you help me with this trill in Adelita? Literally took me two minutes. I put it up and said, it's up on TikTok. And the ornament, not a trill, is an ornament. Sorry, <laughs> no, I saw you looking. No, wrong. Sorry, I made a mistake in the, ling ling in the, in the lingo. Um, 
Shame on you. I know. No, no, no. Um, so, <laughs> no. But it got I know. It's, it's, it's nuts, isn't it? We just, our role has been very conflated, but that's already been a long time, right? Yes. For the, in general, though, the arts were always, at least music, unless you were a child prodigy, it was for the wealthy. And you, you had to have lessons, you had to have instruments. There's a wonderful, I heard a wonderful quote, and I kind of think we should apply it. Uh, who's, it was Malcolm Gladwell, uh, the, he wrote about the 10,000 hours, which I, we, that's a whole other topic of, yes. But he said, if you go to an elite institution, conservatories, uh, whether, whichever they are, you shouldn't be allowed to tell people you did. And I think that is beautiful. And I I've had this experience where people are like, oh, you went, I went to New England Conservatory, and you went there and you study with so-and-so. And I go, wait, they've given out a lot of degrees. You might want to sit and listen and decide if I'm actually any good. And then we can discuss that and what I'm doing. And they're like, really? And I'm like, we use this degree so we don't have to listen. And I want people to listen. Like, don't trust a piece of paper. I mean, now, I don't know how it is in the UK, in, in the US, getting the, the arts don't get reviewed. I mean, unless they're a major advertiser in that newspaper, it's, it's mm -hmm. very difficult. So you end up having to pay a uh, publicist who will hopefully know someone in that newspaper who will convince them to come, which is just one degree away from pay to play. You know, it's pay to get advertisement, it's pay to get a quote. And it's then saying, oh, you don't have to listen to me because someone in 1984 wrote a wonderful review about me, so this is going to be a great concert. You know, in sports, you can be great one year and be horrible the next year, and that's that. In music, yeah. it's like we, and it which should be every concert we have to prove ourselves. Mm -hmm. One thing I think Glenn Gould got really wrong, and I'm grateful for it, is he devalued live music, and he said that recordings will replace everything. Now yeah. it has, in a certain sense, video has, in a certain sense. I do think there has been a homogenization of classical music because of the internet. We hear so-and-so's record, and not just the internet, but because of recordings. Mm -hmm. This is what Segovia did, so I'm gonna play it like Segovia. This is what uh, Barwaco did, I'm gonna play it like him, so it's gonna be good. And then we forget that no, people don't want to, if they want to go see Barwaco, they go see Barwaco. They're here to see, you know, Rosie right now. Rosie, yeah. show me who you are. Warts and all. Julian Bream, man, he didn't lie. Like I never, I saw him, I think three times. Mm -hmm. And granted it was towards the end of his career, but my God, the guy would like tattoo his sound and he made mistakes left and right, but I couldn't tell you where they were, but I can tell you what gesture he was doing when my whole heart kind of stopped beating for a second and just went oh, mm. oh that's why i play because i want those i want yeah. that that moment it's like a great meal i think we need to pull back it's good to pull back the curtain and see that it's not just i was born i was born this way i never practiced in my life i am just god-given gift you know how many we've all met these people and you sit there and you're like damn really you did that in one night and then you realize that they had learned the piece like 10 years earlier and they're you know yeah. yeah we've all been traumatized by that 
I had a, I was doing a round table of composing for guitar in, this is end of 2020, um, with various six or seven composers. And someone chimed in, one of the listeners, can you tell composers to just write in standard tuning? I'm so sick of tuning my guitar differently and being out of tune. And I read the question and I said, and I said, I'm going to answer this. Please do not listen to this guitarist because we play an instrument that you can change the tuning really easily. It doesn't always stay there, but piano, it's wicked hard to change the tuning of a piano, but the guitar, it's like this this instrument that just morphs like, oh, different resonance, we're going to do this. Oh, I want a different set of harmonies. All, everything I've learned, all of the, the chord shapes are now out the window and I have to start over. It is ex one of the, I think it is the most humbling of instruments that is really there because it is just, it's so, um, it changes. It's like hu a human, you know, we're in a relationship with someone and they change and we have to decide do i want to change with them or do i not want to change and is that the end of the relationship possibly or we go on together not it's not a judgment call it's just that's the nature of being with people and we I, they change do i want to change no the guitar just for me is very similar it just you know, if you don't take care of it, it sounds bad. You know, you wear down your your saddle and you're out of tune or you don't pay attention to the strings. They sound horrible. It is, to me, a metaphor of this life that we live. And it, there's so many opportunities. And I have a guitar a composer, Vinit Shende, who's writing reimagined Bach preludes from the well-tempered clavier, as if Bach were from India, South India. So they're called Carnatic preludes. There's video, a couple videos online. They're a blast, wicked hard, like really hard. And he's changing the tuning of every prelude. So mm -hmm. C sharp, D sharp, G, and he has a whole reason for doing it. And I tell you, not, it's not that I'm scared of it, I'm totally, okay, I lie. I'm totally scared of it because I know how much work will go into it and everything of how I value myself of I'm a professional, I can do this is put in doubt because I look at the notes and I'm like, I don't know where they are. And it, it is, I think that is a metaphor for our lives. When something gets upended, we have something new, we have a child brought in, an animal or a new job. It's we value ourselves in what we know. And all of a sudden someone says, oh, I'm gonna twist that. And you're gonna have a, you may not know what you thought you know. That's, that hurts. It's, it's like playing Bach fugue, you know, every one day you nail it and the next day you just feel like a five-year-old who's just incompetent on the instrument. At least that's me. So that's why I don't put videos of Bach fugue on. Instagram. So. <laughs> I was just thinking, actually, you know, that the reason I just did that face because I was just thinking that that might be actually the only video that's on YouTube of me. Is a Bach fugue? Uh, oh, there was the something else. Yes, yes. The uh, da -de -da. that's a beautiful fugue. I love that. Do you? I have to listen to it again because I listened to it last month. Do you ornament on when it comes back? Don't remember. Don't think so. <laughs> I'm re -record I'm recording it this summer and for a new album and 
I'm like, it comes back. It's that ABA form, that that triptych, very unusual. And I'm like, it's going to come back and I can't do it the same. I used to be very scared of that. You know, oh, you can't ornament bulk. It's horrible. I wrote to a keyboardist. I said, who do you listen to who who ornaments on the repeats? He couldn't give me one person. I'm like, it's he's a human he's dead who cares two um schools of this and both of them are equally awful um (laughs) the first one is that you should be purist which means that you should not in any way touch apart from with gloves the original manuscript and the second is that you should be purist which means that you should therefore slip on your gloves and embody the dead body of bach bring him back to life and imagine that if he would have the resources that we have today what he would do and both of those are equally purist equally opposite to each other equally ridiculous um it sounds like a religion is an enigma because you say aba i had to scoff because I don't know what it is with that fugue, but it's just you play the A section. You're like, whoa, this is this is pretty tricky. Um, I remember being caught up in a kind of menacing spider's web of decisions about voicing. And, you know, you kind of you try and follow one track and then it completely messes up the next one. And then you kind of have nowhere to go. And then you're super far up the sixth string thinking, is this even worth it? I mean, it's basically like I'm going to fall off a cliff here. It doesn't even sound good. And then you listen back and you think this sounds awful. It just sounds stressed. You play that first A section, then you get to the B section, you think, for the beginning, you think this is a little easier, especially because guitar, a lot of those things are open. And then suddenly it gets impossible and you think, where am I? And then you're thinking, oh my God, and I'm not the right speed, okay, and now it's kind of cascading, where am I? And then you think, oh, thank God, I'm back in the A section. But then for some reason, that second time you return to the A section, it's like the most difficult thing you've ever seen in your life because suddenly after all of that little liberating those small little movements you do with the left hand when you come back to it and you have to try and with this even more grand feeling it's like so heavy my god yeah. and you finally finally get to the end you think whoa i've exhausted my whole being allegro yeah <laughs> i mean the it's, it's, it's a dessert yeah well, you know, I call I consider that. Do you remember the, in Pulp Fiction that I've been through the valley and I've come through yeah. and all that quote that my religious teaching is very good. Um, and that's that image is playing the B section, the the, the arpeggiated section. I come out of that. I'm like, I'm done. Oh, and then I'm like, wait a sec. No, it's not done. It, you got to keep going. You got to keep going. And it's. It is amazing. I love the Allegro and I just think I love it all, but it's cruel. It's but it, it is. And there's <laughs> it is that cruel. you think you're you're nailing the Allegro and then you have those the walking baseline type of thing moving yeah. in the kind of the last two thirds. And it's like, oh wow, I went about ten clicks too fast. I'm gonna I'm gonna bite. And it feels like time stops because the mistakes are so apparent and just huge. And then yeah. a year or two later, you listen to the recording and you're like, oh, I missed a note. <laughs> like it, there's something, time makes no yeah. sense in what we do. There is, that was actually your question. And I'm going to answer because I do have to get going in a minute. Yeah, here. yeah, yeah me too. Um, the, what is a lesson I try and impart on my students? And this is, and I think you'll relate to this coming from the schooling 
of one semester, you know, two semesters or quarters, and you do your four years, you go get your master's, and then you, you bite the bullet, you go get your PhD or DMA, or you get a certificate, and then you do your rounds. Time is irrelevant. If you keep moving forward, daily practice, you know, on the technical mundane level, you have to do your daily work. But if you want to be an artist, it, we can't use time. It is just everyday being and the intent of that being. So is there perfection? No, but it doesn't mean I can not try for it. And, you know, I love those perfect moments. I'm like, oh, that was great. And I'd go to do it again. And the moment's gone. You, that's recordings have screwed us up because we don't play something that can be brought can be gra uh, handled the music on a CD or streaming and whatnot. That's only partial. That's the experience, the relationship of being live, that moment, there is something so intangible that we as listeners, as well as performers, we forget we're like, Oh, I have to hit the notes, the notes, you can hit every note and miss the music. And what is I some of the best concerts I've been to have been people, they missed a lot of notes. And if I kept track, it would I would have been like, ew, this stinks. But they did these moments that were just magical. And I've been to so many concerts where they hit every note. And I am bored. I want my money back. I just don't enjoy it. So I would rather and I know this is like, and you know, against everything of classical music, you're not supposed to do that. Holy my God, you can never make a mistake. What is the mistake? Let's define if we can if we can define success in a million different ways being playing a fugue, getting up in the morning, sometimes, especially in the last two years, that's a success, uh, getting a good gig, playing a, a, a corporate gig, which pays 10 times more than the good gig, you know, that's a different level of success, then we should redefine mistakes is a mistake playing a piece of music that is we don't care about but it's part of a competition circuit and so i have to learn it and i'm going to go through the motions and i'll hit the notes that's a mistake and when i get when people ask me to judge something i want to know am i judging the notes they hit or am i judging the experience and it's rare that i ever get to hear someone say no no judge the experience Altamira is the leading brand of handcrafted traditional guitars, specializing in classical nylon string, historical replica, and gypsy jazz guitars. Altamira fosters music education and performance through its foundation that hosts and sponsors international symposiums and competitions in Asia, Europe, North America, and Australia. I've recently been lucky enough to be sent an M3 model guitar from Altamira, and it is one of the cleanest, easiest to play instruments that I've ever had the chance to have in my collection. They're beautiful instruments, handcrafted with love, and you can tell. These instruments are wonderful. They have models right down from the beginning level, right up until concert instruments that you would be proud to put your name to. You can check them out at altamiraguitars.com. And again, I'll put that link in the description box so that you can check it out at your own pace. Thanks so much for listening and I'll see you next week for the next episode of Fretnaut.